What a moment for the Republic of Ireland. They just knew how to get the wins and that was it. So I don't mind seeing a team like that because I quite like a fighting team. The Koi Gig Pod on Off The Ball. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. Off The Ball Daily. There was no dancing for Manchester United yesterday. Instead, it was City who came out of the game delighted. Uh, when that when Gundogan's goal went in after 12 seconds, I've already said it on the show today, I literally hadn't even sat down. And mm. I was also watching the Women's Champions League final and there was a goal in the first minute of it as well. And I was like, what is going on here? Uh, I think when that happened, a lot of people thought that this was going to be the floodgates opening. United managed to get themselves back into it, even if... There was controversy around the way they Mm. did so. Um, But it felt like towards the end that United probably had done the best they could on the day. Yeah, I, I I spoke to a lot of Manchester United fans before the game. And although they, you know, they were half expecting to win, half expecting to to be brushed aside by Manchester City because they can do that to anybody you've seen over the over the course of the season Arsenal are the second best team but when they came head to head with Manchester City City just squashed them aside it really it was too too easy for them but in the, in the four seventeen seconds when Gundogan hits that that volley and it goes in you're thinking my god you know it could be pummeled here but they done really well I give them I they, City did have a couple of more chances Rodri had a header Erling Haaland had a, had a half decent chance on his left foot that he put over but you know it competed in the game. They did. It was it wasn't a game of an awful lot of chances, but they competed. They they didn't have an awful lot of clear cut chances themselves. Once or twice they did win the ball and they got the ball up to Rashford, but there was three or four Manchester City players just swarming around them. So I wasn't convinced it was a, a handball at all by Grealish. I, I've been that left winger when you're tracking back and the ball just comes over your head. I think his hand's in a very natural position. When, when you rotate in the air like that to see where the ball is going, he has literally no reaction time to try and get out of the way. So when I seen it happen, I thought that's not a penalty. When when it went the VAR, I was conceding that they're going to give a penalty, but I still I still don't think it was a penalty. So I, I've an awful lot of sympathy for Jack Grealish. But fair play to you know, like I said, stuck around in the game, got themselves somehow in on par at half time. And you were thinking, how are Manchester City going to react to this now? They've been dominant in the game, but the scoreline is one all. And then Gundawan comes out again. And they give away a really silly free kick. Uh, I think it's Fred just, just takes down De Bruyne on the wing, and you're thinking, okay, that's it it's a needless free kick but nothing will come of this they play a little chip to the edge of the box and it's not the best ball in the world Gundogan's actually travelling backwards hits it with his shin bone comes through two or three bodies and you're thinking the guy will go, the guy will go and save that and it just squirms into the back of the net and I just thought City were, were largely, largely comfortable in the game. Without being dominant on the scoreline, I thought they were really, really comfortable. But I think United can take an awful lot of solace in that they stopped Bernardo Silva, they largely stopped Kevin De Bruyne, Jack Grealish was very, very quiet, and Erling Haaland was very, very quiet. So they did nullify an awful lot of City's uh, big, big threats, but Gundogan is just one of those big game players that will generally just pop up with a goal. And he's done it, done it brilliantly. Left foot, right foot, volley, doesn't really matter with him. Just brilliant technician. You can't really ask for much more. I think it's interesting that it was Gundogan that was the kind of hero of the day for City because there's been such talk over the last couple of weeks about the fact that, you know, he's out of a contract this summer and he's failed to come to an agreement with City and the likelihood is that he's going to move on from City. I think Barcelona is the place. And, you know, Pep Guardiola was talking about him during the week and saying that they've been neighbours for the seven years that they've been at City together. He was his first signing when he came to City and he's just been so consistently good for City 
that you kind of forget about him a little bit sometimes. You know, it's not his name necessarily that's popping up. It's the Haaland or it's, you know, even Kevin De Bruyne probably gets a bit more grace than he does. Tim and Bernardo Silva, isn't it, are sort of the yeah. engine yeah. of that allow De Bruyne to do what he does, that allows Haaland to do what he does. And like Gundogan does a lot of statistics around over the last 24 hours of how his game and his stats up dramatically over the last 10, 12 games of a season. Yeah. Now, when you're out of contract, it probably helps as well. And mm. suddenly uh, you can name your price at Manchester City or Barcelona. But like what he's done over the past past six weeks in particular, like suddenly you're looking at him from, you know, maybe a lot of people would have looked at that Manchester City midfield and thought, like, surely you can find a way of getting Foden or Mares mm. in there. And he'd be the guy you'd take out to being the pivotal guy in that yeah, midfield. I think he's one of those players that you don't really realise how good he is until you take him out of there. When you take him out of there, City are not the same. And Look, so many players, will they will concentrate on De Bruyne's assist. They will concentrate on Silva's dribbling ability. And when you break down all of the attributes of all the players, like in, in an attacking sense, Gundogan is not the best attacking midfielder that City have. But he's up there. He'd be one of the best, but he's definitely not the best. And in the defensive sense, he's not the best defensive midfielder he have. But he he's he does a bit of everything for you, and he's an eight out of ten every single week. And when you're Pep Guardiola and you're picking a team and you're thinking, I need somebody who's going to do a job. I don't need somebody who's going to spit the dummy out. And oh, he didn't play last week. He just seems to be a brilliant professional. And when you're saying he's, he's the neighbour of Pep Guardiola for seven years, that that was never something I, I would be interested in. Is living next door to me, own manager. So apparently they're very close friends. Well, it, it just <laughs> gives Which you I a, an insight bit... into how much of a good professional he must be. Right. Because if you if you were if you were anywhere of a professional like I was. You don't want to be living next door to your say, manager. Maybe, maybe you would have benefited from living next <laughs> exactly. door to a few well, of your managers. Well, trying to get me to move in with them, but it's, it's just a little insight into how well he lives his life. And you can tell that if teams are going to go and we'll stop Haaland, we'll stop Grealish, we'll stop De Bruyne, he's just another outlet that can go and hurt you. Yeah, no, Pep was saying during the week that they're actually very close friends, which I thought was weird because sometimes you hear it after the fact, you know, that mm. a manager and a player will say that they get on very well, but not people that are currently playing with each other or still playing anyways mm. never mind actually still playing mm. under him as a manager um, You didn't believe the fake crying from Pep last year when uh, Sergio Aguero was leaving You weren't um, having it You no. weren't having it at all No Nah he came out he body shamed him a few times didn't he talked about the walk rate I think sometimes managers and players can personally be very very close I've had it with managers myself and you're personally very close but on a professional level you know they might just need to let you go and I think if Gundogan does go I'd love to see City keep him just for he's a big game player and you can throw him in and trust him and, and so, all these big big games but City just have this knack of if they do let him go out the door they'll bring somebody else in and he might not be a, a ready made replacement but they might bring him in like a Kelvin Phillips I know the jury's still out on him but they, they do sometimes invest in the future and see if they can build somebody in there rather than just getting for argument's sake, the likes of a Geo Bellingham in there. Well, Phillips just hasn't really been given the time to mm. show what he can do. I mean, very limited playing time all season. Very limited playing time, but when you look at that midfield, he would have known when this when this opportunity yeah. came up to go from Leeds. It's going to be very, very difficult. I know Manchester City were ticking a box to get an English-based player in, so they weren't too fussed. They just wanted to get him in the door. But look, he, he hasn't done enough. He's been injured. And even when the likes of a John Stones, a centre-half, is bopping into midfield and playing in your position, you must be thinking, yeah, even right. if all the centre midfielders aren't playing, the centre-half's the centre going to get in there in front of me. So I'm not too sure where Kelvin Phillips go for here. You know, sometimes hindsight's a great thing, but maybe staying at Leeds would have been a, a better thing for him. Yeah. Well, so, not with how the season went this year, maybe, but... <laughs> <laughs> Just on the game then. Uh, so Gundogan gets the first goal after 13 seconds. It's an unbelievable finish 
from a Manchester United point of view, is is that just hold your hands up and say there's nothing we could do about that? There was a element of quality. Are they not switched on in the first 20 seconds? That, yeah, they're not switched on. It's the basis of the game, Nathan. You, you imagine what Eric Ten Hag is saying, keep it tight, give them nothing. And it, it's just, it's one of those when a boxer comes out and he just throws a Hail Mary in the first minute and hopes for the best. They they pump a long ball forward. United lose the first ball. I think it's Haaland who flicks it on. Mm. Then they go and let it bounce. Uh, I, I think it's a 50-50 and it, it drops. They shouldn't let it drop. Just hack it out, play, do something. They let it drop. Lindelof and De Bruyne then go for it. And Lindelof gets a little bit of a half clearance on it and it drops the gun the one and he just smashes it into the top corner. So have to win the force contact they don't get anywhere near the second ball and then they let the ball bounce so there's three very quick mistakes and people will look at that in isolation they're not very big mistakes at all but the basics of the game are don't let the ball bounce in your own final tour go and win the force contact and if you can't win the force contact make sure you win the second ball you know you didn't do any of those things but in fairness you hold your hands up and say that's an outstanding strike and like I say you know it could have easily been pummeled we've seen Manchester mm. City do it the team so how did them- they get back into the game then? an awful lot of luck I, I don't think they were they were going anywhere fast in terms of creating opening uh, play from opening chances from opening play I don't think they were getting there they were huffing and puffing but it was competitive without either side really making any chances and then a really good ball by uh, Fernandez just flicks it over the head of, of Grealish and all of a sudden there's a penalty and they're back into the game but I just I always felt that no matter how how high United raised their game, City were more than capable of just going that little bit more. And I felt City were comfortable without blowing Manchester United away. I always felt City were comfortable and had I know Manchester United, United fans would be screaming at me saying we hit the we hit the crossbar in the last minute. Mm. That was just helter skelter, so pumping balls into the box and hoping for the best. And it hit the crossbar. It wasn't like a you know a, a real shot. It was just a flaky stuff at the end. So yeah, I thought City were were more than comfortable and showed their class. You even look at the statistics like City had 60% possession to United's 40 and they had five shots on goal to United's three. So it's not, you know, there's no wild figures there, but it does kind of tell the story of them being comfortable on the ball, taking their shots when they can. And obviously the two from Gundogan were great. A lot of criticism of De Gea in the papers this morning after yesterday saying that he should have done better. And if Manchester United ever want to Mm. either be in contention for the Premier League or winning... FA Cups regularly again that he has to go this summer is that something you'd agree with in fairness the two shots from Gundogan were quite good as well yeah I'm not too sure I think he could have done better with the second one I, I understand why he didn't save it because it comes through bodies but does not when a player hits it and it's like when that leaves Gundogan's left foot he's not thinking that's a goal when he does it with his right foot he's thinking that's hitting the back of the net definitely when he hits the foot, the second one he's probably thinking oh, and I think it's Casemiro actually half throws the legs at it and then pulls it back and maybe that unsights the gate as well so maybe could have done better but I'm willing to give him a pass on it because it comes through three bodies and it, it trickles through so I, I, I ju- I'm still not convinced on him I don't think he's the best footballer I know so much a goal being a goalkeeper now is your distribution I think with his feet he can be good but at times he puts players into an awful lot of trouble like the the Brentford one jumps into mind with Harry Maguire straight away so I just think he makes too many mistakes and I, I think the United fans are quite split on him and I, I don't think he will get it back I don't I, he's had some great appearances for United he's had some wonderful saves some decent years but I just think they need to freshen it up I was reading uh, David Priest's analysis, um, former goalkeeper who uh, does a lot of media work now and was again pointing out that he felt that De Gea should have saved this and that one of his fatal flaws as a goalkeeper is he dives backwards too often. So he's not approaching the ball. So he can never get enough power with his arm to push it clear. And again there, he's not on the front foot when he's diving across. He's a little bit slow. He's a little bit hesitant. And then he's going backwards. So even though when he gets his hand towards it, 
there's no power there at all to be yeah. able to clear it. And if he's not making the saves and he can't really play with the ball at his feet in the way that uh, Ramsdale can, Allison can, Ederson can, uh, all of the leading keepers, United and Ten Hag have a bit of a headache now for the summer because he's on such a ridiculous wage of over £300,000 a week. Who will buy him? Can you afford to leave him sitting on the bench? And when they're plotting out their course for the summer, and you know, this afternoon it's reported that, you know, they're very close to Mason Mount, that they are going to go for Harry Kane. Are they willing to go and spend what you need on a goalkeeper, which is probably another 50, 60 million? But can they go anywhere without doing that? I think... I think they can look if if you if you to ask me up straight, does Eric Ten Hag want a new goalkeeper? I think the answer is yes. I think then when he goes down and sits with the big wigs and he gets into the logistics of it and how much David De Gea is earning and what his contract has left, then maybe he'll say, okay, well we can put up run for another season because the amount of money he's earning, I don't think they they'll make an awful lot of money on him if somebody was to come in and buy him because it's it's fairly obvious that if if he was to go, you know, you want him to go. So I, I just don't see can they force it through. I, they need a football goalkeeper. You know, if you're going to go out and get him, you're probably talking 50, 60, 70 million unless you land on your feet with somebody who's out of contract. So I just don't think you know you have the funds with the with everything that's happening in the background at the club at the minute. I think it, it is a it is a problem. He's not the worst goalkeeper in the world, so I think they might put a band-aid over it and just let it let it be. But I think in terms of actually challenging City over a 38 game basis, getting into the Champions League, which they have done, challenging there. I think they need a better goalkeeper. Thing is, as well with all that, is that like we don't even know what United can spend this summer because mm. they have their ownership thing is still mm. completely up in the air. You don't know if whoever eventually gets it, what prize pot they're actually going to bring to the table. Like maybe there's some conditions in the contracts that they're working through at the moment. To say what, like, okay, well, if you take over this summer, you have to spend like three hundred million or something, and that's already a requirement that they've agreed on. But it, we just we don't know, and that's affecting like the club the whole way through. Another player that's getting a lot of slack today is Jaden Sancho. For you know, people saying the fact that he's been given so many chances by Ten Hag, he took that time off to get himself like mentally and physically better, which is very very rare at that level that a manager gives the player that time. And yesterday, you know, a lot of the talk afterwards was would. Ten Hag regret not starting Garnacho. Like when he came on, he brought some energy. He was like, the ball wasn't being thrown back in fast enough by one of the ball boys. And he was like, come on, like, mm. we need to get this ball back. We need, And there was just none of that from Sancho. He was pretty much invisible. Yeah, Sancho, to me, uh, he just looks really, really low on confidence. I know that, that that's an easy thing to say for a winger, but when he gets the ball, his force touch is not forward he's not putting the defender on the back foot he's he's taking it and it's fairly obvious he's either going to take a step backwards or take the easy option and, and pass the ball backwards and his biggest strength at Borussia Dortmund was running at people taking people on being nice and direct when he plays for England getting on the half turn and driving the team up the pitch at United he, he doesn't want to do any of those things I, I just think he's so so low on confidence and to be fair, I do think he's had a decent crack at the whip. I think Ten Hag giving him the time off to go and get himself mentally sorted, come back, go and get yourself fit. He he has had a decent crack at the whip, but it just hasn't been good enough from him. And again, just 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 one or two, just I don't want to call him Deadwood. It's maybe a little bit disrespectful, but he brought nothing to the party yesterday. And when Garnacho come on, mm. when he comes in in that right foot and he takes a shot and it goes a yard wide, you're thinking. 
if Garnacho had a start this could have been a different game because that was a decent outflipper you know I know it's the last 15 minutes and they're rolling the dice somewhat but Garnacho was prepared to run at people where Sancho was very very limited in what he could bring to the team It was a strange Manchester United performance in that they weren't totally overrun really at any stage but they bring in Fred to man Mark De Bruyne obviously Anthony uh, had his injury problems anyways but like there was such little attacking threat until Garnacho came on as you say Sancho was just not in the game Marcus Rashford couldn't get into it either and you look at him again in that central position and think maybe you know he's the one who just needs to play out on the left hand side there's the video going round of the header Rodri wins near the end and Rashford doesn't even go up and challenge him for it where do you assess United then after a season where they win the Carabao Cup, they get to an FA Cup final, uh, you know, they're hitting the crossbar in the closing stages to try and bring it to extra time. They get Champions League football. They've made a big step forward. How far away are they from making another step that with five games to go next season, they're challenge- challenging for a title? I'd be I'd be very surprised if that was the case if Manchester United are still in the title race with five games to go next season I, I and uh, this goes for the for the rest of the Premier League in fairness I, I still think there's a bit of a gulf I, I've already referred to it when Manchester City and Arsenal went toe to toe when Arsenal have been largely the, the second best team in the league you know City just pushed them aside and they, it's just the strength and depth they have they've got two squads there that they can roll in roll out international after international world class international after international very little pressure seems to ever get to these guys and I just don't see Manchester United they need probably four or five top class players to come into that squad they need to sort their defence out there's a whole host of off the field issues with the with the Glazers as well and I just I just think that turns sour but to answer your question I think United have had a phenomenal season I didn't see them finishing in the top four they've managed to do that I didn't see them winning a cup they've won one almost won two so I'm not sure what more United fans can want realistically to challenge for the title next season I think it's a pipe dream I don't think they can do it but I genuinely don't think Arsenal will either I think again City will strengthen a little bit more and come Christmas time they'll hit the boost button and just leave everybody for dead but sure we'll worry about that next season when we come to it (laughs) <laughs> you sound so resigned already. We've just finished up the season. Well, technically still have the Champions League to go. Mm. But uh, yeah, no, to be fair, I think a lot of people are probably feeling that way. Um, were you surprised at the outpouring of emotion from Guardiola yesterday at winning that FA Cup? Because you kind of think, you know, things are tense now, but there still is that Champions League final. And that's when the outpouring of emotion would come rather than now. Well, I, I think he understands the the message that will be going to the players is take every game, take it game by game, don't be thinking about the Champions League final, we haven't got there yet, they've obviously reached it but it hasn't come on the calendar just yet, the FA Cup final was the one in front of them, the one they have to win and that's a banana skin if they if they slip up on that, the treble's gone and they don't go and, they don't go and match the brilliant Manchester United team in 1999 and you know a lot of people say to Pep about you have to win the Champions League to be able to be on that pedestal of, of one of the best managers of all time I think he wants to win the treble as well, just to, just so Manchester feels a little bit more of an even keel, because that's the one thing that United fans can always throw at City is we done the real treble, and if Manchester City managed to do it, which I think they do, I think they will, and I think Pep Guardiola's outpouring of emotion knew that this is a Manchester derby in an FA Cup final. This is pretty much fifty-fifty. I know City are a much stronger squad, but finals, they're so so uncertain. Anything can happen, and when City went and won that. I think Pep Guardiola knows in the back of his mind that on paper we should really be meeting this Inter Milan team and I think the large majority of people do expect them to do but football's not played on paper and anything can happen but I just think 
pep in his in his head mentally has taken another big step towards the treble. Well, it's interesting, even in the papers, people were writing about it today. It felt very much like United were trying to beat City, not so much to win this mm. FA Cup, but to stop that treble. And then City weren't necessarily, like, there was no talk about them actually winning the FA Cup today, and, you know, the legacy of the trophy and what it means to do the domestic double. It was just like, right, okay, Champions League, it's still on. Like, yesterday could have been any sort of game really, because there was so little concentration around the actual event of the day. Do you think, obviously we've seen Guardiola in these sort of finals for the Champions League before, and he just, it's like a different person you're watching. You're, he takes strange tactical decisions. He drops players who've been playing like consistently well for him. Do you think he's learned from all that? And is, because even the way he's talking about this Champions League final is different to how he's talked about them before. You know, he's talking about it like, that he's acknowledging everything that's happened in the past and that they do need to be different if they are going to finally get that medal. Yeah, I, I think he he has been obviously guilty of tinkering in the past. And it, Football's a very easy game. If you score more goals than the other team, you win the game of football. If Pep gets really, really bogged down in the tactics, inverted wingers, centre-halves coming into play in midfield... and. You know, tactics are brilliant, they're great, they're, they're, they can be the difference, but nine times out of ten, if you're going out walk the opposition, if you have that little bit more intensity, desire and hunger to walk hard, you will come out on top in the running stats. You know, tactics at, at the top end, when Inter Milan come to town and they're, they're, they're playing the Champions League final and Inter Milan are just as hungry and just have just as much desire, then it will come down to little tactical tweaks here and there that can win it, but... Nine times out of ten, I don't think Pep's needs to mess with that team. That that team is better than most that come in front of him. That's why it's always been so unusual when he has. Yeah, and that, that's I think that's the problem. I think he overthinks things in his head. And look, nobody is coming to Manchester City thinking, well, if we just nullify them here, we'll be able to hurt them there. They're coming here with a whole host of problems, keeping people quiet. And you see in Manchester United tomorrow, uh, yesterday, spent most of their time putting out fires on the pitch. They couldn't mm-hmm. get up the pitch themselves. They were mm-hmm. just putting out Manchester City's attack. So... I don't, I don't think Pep needs to overthink it. He really doesn't. They're, they're such a talented bunch. They're probably the best squad put together ever in the Premier League era would you think of the whole 22. So don't mess about too much. If they, if they come with the Zoya walk rate, they will be most of the teams put in front of them. The decision to leave Rodri out of that Champions League final against Chelsea will haunt him until maybe next Saturday night and they go and they win one. Uh, he has kept it fairly straightforward over the last few weeks. You think of the Arsenal game, he played with a flat back four, you know, he put Walker in. Uh, he's gone with John Stones as a de facto extra mid- Like Stones yesterday was the best player on the pitch. Yeah, there was a minute when he was in his own oh 18 yard box and you're thinking, I think they jumped, it might have been Garnacho jumped it for the pass back and he just opened out and you're thinking, my God, that's stuff you do in, in Fairview Park on a Sunday morning. That was just no pressure whatsoever like that's an FA Cup final if he mm. loses the ball there he's giving away a goal in front of 80,000 people zero zero pressure on him and it was brilliant it was just awareness wasn't it but if he didn't have a look over his shoulder and know that that, that area was clear he, he was coming into big big trouble so do you think awareness. is there anything Inter Milan can do assuming that Pep goes with the same team next Saturday Ederson will obviously come back and go but goes with the same outfield 10 in the same system with Stones playing in midfield is there anything Inter Milan can do to capitalise on that, to expose stones, to expose him. Well, I, I think you can you can definitely get after him. I don't think he's the complete midfield player. Like, there obviously is a bad touch in there every now and then. If he if, if he wasn't, he, he wouldn't he wouldn't have started his career as a centre half. He'd have been in the middle of the pitch. So I would be driving that point home to the Inter Milan midfielders and to the Inter Milan strikers that that is a centre centre back playing in midfield. So 
any sort of dodgy ball into him, 50-50 balls, get after him. We might get a bit of change out of him. The rest, there's certain players on the pitch, you just let them have it, you make them play backwards, but maybe possibly get after John Stones. But look, Inter Milan, I have to be honest, I do expect City to win it. I expect them to win it handsomely, but Inter Milan, they're Italian. They know how to defend. They will soak up pressure. They will get the ball forward. And it's not beyond the realms of possibility that they do get hit on the counter-attack City and just can't break them down. So it's going to be a very interesting game. One that City can win, but there's definitely an avenue for an avenue for Inter Milan to win the game, yeah? Like you say, like these things are never done until the game is actually played. And we've seen it multiple times over recent weeks and finals. You look at, like say, the rugby with Munster and Leinster and the absolute certainty people had mm. about how those games are going to go. And then Something different about City this season, though. Like yeah. The way that last two or three months is a, he hasn't been trying anything ridiculous. There's a the settled big games to it. at the end of the season. Like the thing that stood out against Arsenal, against Liverpool, and the games that mattered in the final months were the work rate, were Haaland's work rate. The amount, of, I'd imagine, statistically, if you went back, the amount of times he won the ball back in those games compared to your average game yeah. when he's scoring his hat trick, off the charts, right from the first minute, getting at teams early again yesterday, scoring inside. Yeah. 12, 13 seconds. I wouldn't be at all surprised if City are in front within five minutes next Saturday night. They're going after teams. They're not waiting around. It's not tiki-taka football and just bide our time and hope we get a goal. Like, they're going in for the kill. They're going in for the, to smother you straight away. So, And it, it, the Madrid game was a big one for me mm. when they brought Real Madrid back to Manchester and it was one all. It's on a knife edge. battered them. Absolutely battered them. And, and there, was, there was moments in that game where they're winning and you're thinking, we're all throwing our mind back to when... Uh, Real Madrid hit them with two counter punches and you're thinking is there going to be a bit of that but City just seem to have walked out how to beat people now and when they're standing on your throat very rarely do they take their foot off it they, they just go in for the kill now and like I said I, I, I still think they were in tour of fourth gear in that final yesterday I think they had a couple of more gears to go so that's how frightening it is for the rest of the league and like I said I, I don't see that dominance slowing down anytime soon I know there need to be a lot of money pumped into another team for mm. them to get anywhere close I mean maybe Newcastle in five years time or something well, look, at, look at the money that could pump into Chelsea and so look many where they good are. news stories yeah. so many good news stories <laughs> uh, what about uh, the Ange Postacoglu to Tottenham expectation as I think it is now obviously Celtic completed the treble yesterday um, he wanted to um, you know stay loyal to the club and not entertain anything till after the game but it does look as though Spurs are going to go for him yeah look at Football's a funny game, and, and footballers are, are weird, weird creatures. And I, I, I think he deserves a shot. I think he's been excellent at, at Celtic. Um, I'd be very, very interested to see how he does at Spurs. But with Harry Kane possibly going out the door at Spurs, he's inheriting a team there that people will still associate with Harry Kane and think, oh, well, maybe we'll finish top four, top six. He's going to lose one of the best strikers in the world, and he's going to bring a manager in who has never managed in the Premier League. So I think as long as people rearrange where do you think Spurs will finish next season then I think Ange Postacoglu I think he'll be absolutely fine but I don't know I just I don't see it ending well I really don't I think he will take the job I think he'll go in there but I think he'll just be more cannon fodder for Spurs before they sort uh, sort themselves out really I don't understand it from the sense that like Postacoglu is the sort of manager who doesn't like a lot of control over him you know like mm. he wants to be his own football director he didn't want you know help with transfers and stuff he was very much like I'll have my network of scouts but I don't want someone sitting on top of me being like we need to sign this player we need to sign this player and I just have this like feeling that if he does go it's going to be like Graham Potter at Chelsea I think he absolutely should get the chance to manage in the Premier League and I think he has the capacity to do well with a team 
team in the Premier League. I just don't know if Spurs the right fit. I'm I'm re- I'm I'm really worried about the dressing room because when you think of Ant- uh, when Conte gave that interview and all the things he said about the dressing room about the players within the dressing room and I I, I do take Harry Kane out just because I think he's probably the only sports player who's co- who can come out of the season with his head held high with the numbers he's managed to reach in terms of goals in the Premier League. I just don't want Postatoglu to go in there and the players just be like, well, who are you? You, you? you haven't earned your stripes in the Premier League and just not listen to them. And people would say, well, players won't do that. But look at what they did with Ryan Mason. You can't tell me that their, their performance didn't drop off after Conte. They, they fell off a, an absolute cliff when Conte went out. So I just, I, just, I think it's a ready-made excuse straight away for the sports players. And that's a flaky dressing room. You're going to give them an excuse of a manager who has never managed before in the Premier League. And I just think it ends in disaster again. But that's coming from an Arsenal fan, so let's even take that with a pinch of salt. <laughs> this is wishful thinking that will all end in disaster for Spurs and they'll drop out of the top half of the table completely. Um, thank you very much, Keith, for joining us today. It was great no chatting to you and enjoy Lionel Richie later on. Uh, Try me best. Very, very, very jealous you're getting to have a bop. What a moment for the Republic of Ireland. They just knew how to get the wins and that was it. So I don't mind seeing a team like that because I quite like a fighting team. The Koi Gig Pod on Off The Ball. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now.